And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? This is Andrew Morgans, the founder of Marknology, here with you again on Startup Hustle. Uh, Super excited to be speaking with you guys. We're going to have a lot of fun on today's episode, just talking about um, all things digital, e-commerce, the digital landscape, what's been going on this year, um, and you know, goals for what's coming up next. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Tesseract Ventures. Tesseract Ventures helps companies become smarter, better connected, and more efficient through next-generation robotics, 21st-century software, and radically connected platforms. Visit tesseractventures.io to learn more, or click the link in the show notes. This company is super cool. They've got robots. Uh, Matt, who everyone knows that's listening in, um, has promised me a robot soon. So uh, Tesseract Ventures better come through on that. We're going to have some fun. Super excited about our host, Megan Lynch. Introduce yourself. Let's say hello. Hi. Great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. I'm I'm super excited to have you. Um, I honestly feel really privileged to have you on the show. Uh, for anyone listening... I don't know if you guys know or not, but I went to Babson College with the Goldman Sachs 10K SB program um, for a, a small business accelerator earlier this year and uh, was was super excited about going. It was super impactful for me just to be able to spend a semester focusing on my business. Megan was one of the panelists there and runs a very successful agency and was speaking to all of us about um, you know different things regarding Babson and business and entrepreneurship. And um, we had a brief conversation after um, one of her panels. And I was actually, I, I wanted to take the opportunity to like pick her brain about a big pitch I had coming up. And uh, we've just been connected since then. And and I thought I would, I would love to have her on the show and, and just really bring an expert in and, and talk about uh, all things digital. So Megan, let's give them a little background on, um, you know, your company, your, your history a little bit and um, what's going on today. Sure. Um, so my name is Megan Lynch. I'm the CEO of Six Point Creative, and we are a, bra- a brand strategy agency that really focuses on advising um, scale-up companies, second-stage companies that are you know, ready to leave startup mode, the fun times, and start to really figure out how to scale and grow their business at the next level. And, um, yeah, I just, I had kind of a winding path getting to this point. I never thought that I would be a business owner or an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be an English major. I I was going to get my PhD in English and just read books all day and teach people. Um, and I was working at an agency while I was, uh, getting my master's in English lit and started to like my day job a little bit better than academia. (laughs) And, um, so I ended up bouncing around to a few agencies that was kind of back when like 
content management systems on websites used to were becoming a thing. And mm -hmm. so I kind of, I went to a couple of digital agencies as that was uh, starting up and then spent some time at a marketing planning communications agency for a while. And that was where I met my business partners started six point in 2007 uh, right right at the beginning of the last recession um, so this is not my first recession and um, and so got to do the fun startup thing there and then when we started kind of getting to a plateau point that was when I realized that kind of like, what got us here would not get us there and I started to learn more about what it means to be a second stage company and did some self-education, um, found some programs like 10KSB and um, some other kind of like peer education programs. Since I don't have an MBA, I didn't really know that much about business and uh, started to get really into it and you know, started to enjoy talking business with other people and incorporating more business strategy into our brand strategy and, um, and kind of learned, you know, tried out some systems that we now bring to companies to scale up on ourselves. And that was kind of where we um, piloted a program that we now call Solve for Why and, um, and started developing a lot of our education materials. And that brings us about to today. So. Yeah, no, no, that's super great. Um, I want to go in just a little bit into, um, because I hadn't really... I knew what a second stage company was like I knew the difference between someone starting out versus someone like bringing my company on after they've already been going and definitely understanding the difference between someone having a budget for marketing versus a startup not having any idea. But I had never met anyone or heard it because I too come from a different background and um, don't have an MBA uh, and didn't really come from business. I came more from uh, music. I have a computer science degree, but I was, you know, playing music for a long time before I finally got into the space. And um, so a lot of things hit me for the first time, you know, just the way people refer to things like uh, digital first, being a digital first company or second stage. So let's talk about second stage. Um, let's talk as if someone listening doesn't really know what that is. Um, let's go into that a little bit. Yeah. And I think actually, like most people don't know what second stage is. It's not very widely used but i feel like once you start describing it if you've gone through it you're like yes like i know what that feels like so basically um usually it starts usually around when companies hit like a 10 to 15 employee threshold um sometimes a little bit earlier sometimes a little bit later um but it's Basically, what happens is you kind of start leaving the stage, the entrepreneurial stage where it's it's really about the hustle. It's really about like getting things done, not saying no, figuring out how to do as much as you can with as little as you have. And and it's very, you know, the startup stage is obviously very reliant on the owner, founder, usually um, kind of it's their vision. It's their baby. So you have kind of like this visionary who's running the company and then you have maybe a few people around them who help them get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And it's usually pretty smooth. And you get, if you have something of value, you get some good organic growth right out of the door just by being good at what you do and talking to the right people. And um, there's kind of like your, maybe your own network or your own experience kind of brings you a certain amount of business. And then, you know, it's usually like around a million dollars or around 
10 people, you start to all of a sudden being like, it's not so easy anymore. Like things just feel harder. And oftentimes you'll start to hit a sales plateau where you, you kind of will like gain some customers, lose some customers, or just kind of like be, feel like you're treading water, kind of working too hard for each sale. And, um, and it starts to get a little bit more frustrating on the operation side. You start to need more processes and, and, you know, people are starting to be like, Hey, I don't have a job description. Why not? Or my job description doesn't match what I do, or we need to write down these processes for things. And um, so you start to have to create more infrastructure and you start to need, the business starts to become more complex. So you just need more expertise everywhere, more financial expertise, more HR expertise, um, more operational expertise, more marketing expertise. Um, and, um, and it's just kind of an interesting life point in a business because um, you almost have to like start over again. Like the, mm -hmm. like everything that you did that was right and got you to a certain point That's is now all of a sudden yeah. wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, if anybody's like me, they start to just feel like, oh my gosh, like I really don't know what I'm doing. I thought I did, but now I'm a failure and this is not working. Um, but actually what I really tried to remind people is that like, no, what you did was right. Like you're feeling this pain because you were doing the right things for that life stage. Now, just like when you know, you're going to college, it's like, what's good for you in like junior high and high school doesn't really work for you in college doesn't really work when you're in the working world, like, you just kind of grow out of those things. And so helping companies kind of figure out what that next stage looks like, and doing it with um, some empathy and some understanding that what they're dealing with is complex. And that once you start to get to that stage, you start to have something to lose. <laughs> you know, you have people who are depending on you for income, the stakes feel higher, everything feels bigger. Um, you know, you're just dealing with more money, more customers, you know, more personal liability. Um, and, and it starts to feel a little bit scary. And so I think helping companies both deal with that kind of emotional aspect of it, but then also help them kind of sort through all of that and still help them make smart transformational decisions for their company um, is kind of a fun place to be. Yeah. And, you know, I bet there's a lot of people listening or will listen to this episode um, that are really going to relate to that. I know I do. I know the. I can remember like it was yesterday when I went from, I'm a person that used to have $20 problems to $20,000 problems you know, with cash flow or different things and just exactly. being like, this is so beyond what I'm capable of. Um, or trying to dig into the financials at, a, at the next level. Or um, for me, it was about recentering with, as cliche as it sounds, falling in love with the process because it wasn't about a destination of like getting to this point. Well, now I have to like, I'm just getting started. And it being like, actually, everything I've learned till now has been so much work. And yet there's still a whole lot to be done. Um, you know, it was a low place for a couple of months for me when I hit that spot. Um, yeah. And really not understanding. I didn't have expectations knowing that was coming. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things is it does 
tend to take people by surprise of like, hey, like everything was going great. This was fine. This was fun. And now all of a sudden it's not feeling so fun anymore and what's going on. And I think, um, you know, I had a lot of the same feelings when we hit that stage of just like, you know, what am I doing? Why did I get into this? Do I even want to go any further? Maybe I want to get smaller, not bigger. And it kind of makes you ask those questions. And some companies will get smaller. Sometimes it's like, oh, no, I just want to stay as, you know, a single person or a really small team. But if you make the decision to grow, you can't linger and hang out in second stage forever. You need to kind of get through it. Um, and so I think that that becomes part of the both fun and the challenges. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of that in that I have overcome some of those challenges and have had some success in finance side or in the system side or in the onboarding side and, you know, making some things more processed. And I don't know if it's ever done, probably not, but I'm definitely, you know, there's still those areas that I'm like, those are pain points. And, um, you know, Marknology has grown you're, you know, doubled, doubled, doubled. And so that comes with it, people problems and comes with it. You need an HR department now and you need this and you need that. Um, and those are just like, you know, it makes me think I'm gonna tell a story, just a short one. But I don't know if you know the, the story of like the coal miners, you know, that were I think I was reading this, and forgive me for not being able to reference it. But, um, you know, these coal miners are they get trapped, right? And there's like 40 or 50 of them underground. And they were there for a month, I think, or something. And it was it was a leadership book, because it was talking about how, at the beginning, they needed a leader that was like, you know, slapping someone across the face and saying, get your stuff together. And like, you know, this is what we have to do to survive. And we need to move here. We need to get to air. We need to get to like, you know, some safety and security where the walls aren't caving in. And, um, but then after a short amount of time, they needed a completely different leader. It wasn't that that leader wasn't needed when he was, but they needed a leader that was helping them with mental health and helping them be able to, you know, ration their water and stay mentally stable without any sunlight and, and clean air and, you know, until help came. And it was a big shift in knowing what leader is needed when. And I think that that becomes really hard to do when it has to be the same person that has to switch the way that you're leading, you know? And I think that really hit home when I read that passage, you know, or like, and, and just being like, I like being the wartime general. That's like, you know, like, guys, this is what we need to do right now. I'm going to save our lives. Like, you know, doom, 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 doom to really being patient and calm and, you know, like process based and, you know, logical and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, um, feels very much to me, like, like scaling a business. And, you know, I've always heard that it's the hardest thing to do. Um, especially a service-based agency is hard to scale. Um, stay away from that. That's why so many people go into tech and all these things because they're easy to scale um, in comparison, right? Um, and didn't really grasp that, so I had to go through it myself. Yeah, yeah. I think it's easy to kind of underplay or underestimate the work it takes, and also I think where you know, and I'm I'm sure you'd relate to this too, where you also have to kind of like you do need to really do some soul searching and understand where am I strong. And then where do I have weaknesses that I can improve on? And then where is this just like not my bag and I need to get somebody who can do this way better than I can. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, um, has been, you know, a lot of what we've been doing at six point is just kind of really like, 
honing in on what are those skill sets that we need around us as we grow. And it's something that we see with clients a lot. Like oftentimes our role is to kind of serve as almost like a bridge and be sort of like a, like a fractional CMO or a fractional marketing director while they're still trying to figure out like, what do we, what's our strategy? What do I need? How do I build out a department? Because they've never done that before. It's always Mm -hmm. been kind of like the one Jack of all trades, go getter kind of marketing coordinator type role who can do all of that stuff, you know, that they needed as a startup. And then now that they need more expertise and specialists, that starts to feel more daunting. It's like, I've never hired these people before. I've never managed them before. I don't even know what I'm looking for. Um, And so we'll often kind of help them sort through, you know, what is the vision? What is the strategy? What are the skill sets that you're going to need to get there? How do we start to create some standards? You can start to plug people into that um, so that you don't have to kind of like, burn through a first few hires of like hire a few wrong people to start figuring out what you really need because that can waste a lot of time and energy especially if you're if you have some strong growth potential in front of you totally and i know like for me um selling my own services has been a way that's been eye-opening for me in regards to you get what you pay for yeah and you know i didn't even know what the word fractional cfo meant till two years ago, you know, um, and then I started down a journey of being like, I do want to have more visibility. Um, cause I bought out a partner. Um, and she had ran the books the whole time at the beginning of our business. And so when I bought her out, I took on the books and I just took on what had already been set up and started running with it as best I could not to mess anything up. And, um, just didn't have a lot of confidence around it. Cause it was the one area of my business that I hadn't personally built and understood and so you know there's insecurities there and um i heard of a fractional cfo is a disaster uh and i interviewed six different ones and went with the one that i felt like my gut was telling me to go with and they're good people but the the relationship was not great the first one i had they fought they like let her go and then i got a replacement and it was just like these are my finances like this is super important to me um and that was where I had the tw- the two twenty thousand dollar cash flow problem. Just to like air it out here, um, you know, the difference was I was trying to go to automated payroll that could be paid through the cloud and things instead of checks, and you know, be more efficient. And the difference was them taking out payment and taxes, like you know, five days ahead of the paycheck for a direct deposit versus the way I was doing it with my accounting firm here in KC is um, we paid taxes for all the employees around the fifteenth and wrote them checks you know, on Fridays and sometimes they'd cash them on Friday. Sometimes on Monday, the cash flow was just a different game. Yeah. And now it was like the difference in like 7,000 in a week or whatever to 20,000 in a week because of holidays. It was also at this time where like everything has to be ran really early because of these back-to-back holidays and clients weren't paying because uh, the holidays and they're all out for vacation. So it was just like this perfect storm of a disaster for me. Uh, but you know what I want to say, I said all that to say like, that was the headache I was dealing with for the first time in my business, trying to get better in a certain area, trying to scale, trying to get better in a certain area. And what what I realized was that the fractional CFO did have the information that I wanted. The relationship just wasn't right. Yeah. And so I went back to my, um, CPA accounting firm here in KC and said, Hey, this other company knew how to talk to agency talk. And they knew what kind of metrics I was looking for. 
and this actually didn't happen until I went to Babson mm -hmm. uh, and then came back and had a little bit more confidence. I've been learning this whole time and Babson kind of solidified it um, about just go to your accountant and go to your bookkeeper and tell them what you want. And, you know, just like you'd be surprised that what they can make happen for you if you're able to communicate that to them. Yeah. I just couldn't speak to speak. Yeah, you know, so to speak. And uh, but you know, now I'm like, super happy with things are going and I'm tracking clients and my invoices and you know, doing a whole bunch of things I've been trying to do for a long time. Wouldn't have happened if I didn't have the disaster with the CFO. Yeah, the fractional CFO, you know, so that's my personal experience in like trying to hire out for a position that I was super insecure about. The relationship part was super important, as well as simply failing at it allowed me to know what I wanted. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, Thank you for the time on that one. But I, I just think that like sometimes talking about the failures, you know, on, on the podcast is um, really beneficial for some people. Um, knowing that just because it's not a home run as soon as you get into it doesn't mean you don't end up where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you know, we always have that um, mentality at six point and something we really try to cultivate is just that idea of like, hey, like, let's and especially during COVID. I mean, this has been like a time to just try some stuff, see what mm -hmm. works, you know, the kind of fail hard, fail fast mentality. Um, and it's, it can sometimes hard to be, to not beat yourself up. But um, I think that it was the other thing that I kind of learned early on as I was really trying to start to become this next stage leader is that one of the things I had to learn was to have a little bit more of that vulnerability with other business owners and other people who were going through this stuff. Cause I tended to go to like networking events where it's like, Hey, how's business? Oh, business is great. Everything's awesome. And it wasn't until I got into some programs like the Babs and 10 KSB program, where I belong to the national women's president's organization. And you start to have conversations with other business owners that are actually like, Hey, everything's not great. Like this is a big problem that I'm dealing with. You know, I'm dealing with a cash flow problem. I'm dealing with a tax problem. I'm dealing with a people problem and being able to really talk through some of those things and understand that like, <laughs> you're not failing, like nothing's going wrong. Like this is just part of learning and it's part of growing a business and it's a way to get better and stronger and that other people have been there too. And I feel like as soon as you start to be vulnerable, other people will kind of like share some of their yeah. issues and you, and you don't feel so alone, but nothing's worse than sitting there going like, Oh my gosh, I'm the only one who doesn't understand, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's like you have a certain level of confidence that you've built this thing up to 10 people or whatever. That's like, you're proud of it. And you know, you're like, I built this from nothing. Or I've like, this is a super big accomplishment for me only to be super humbled that like, really, you don't know anything. Uh, you know, and that's just, it's hard to wrap your head around in those moments when you know, it's stressed out. And you know, a lot of times if your cash flow is right, your people, you have people problems, because exactly. everyone's overworked, or, you know, and the, and the money's coming in, and, and people are overworked, or um, in my case recently, like I've had some of my employees picked up by other agencies, um, you know, that they're learning great stuff at our agency and other agencies want them, you know, so it's like things are going good. People are learning skills, people are getting trained and, you know, the unforeseeable happens and now you're, now you're looking again. And, and now I'm thinking about how do I get my training better? So, you know, I can, I can onboard employees faster, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and I think that's where bringing it back to that that cliche saying of like, it really is about the process. And do I like being an entrepreneur and, um, 
the process of it and the process of growing and getting better? Or am I just trying to get to a destination and be real with myself and be real with my answer about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the people who want to continue to lead a company through second stage are the people who like the journey, who like the challenge of like, okay, yeah, let's shake everything up and let's start all over again. Um, whereas the people who are like, oh no, maybe I'm gonna, you know, sell at this point, or I'm going to get smaller, or, you know, if you don't want, you know, and I think that it's also that they're, they're both valid paths and valid, valid choices, and they're just right for different people. And it's not a better or for worse. I just happen to be like the journey person. Like it's, you know, I would get bored if it was like, oh, I made it. And now I just sit here. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like the continued, yeah. like also like what brands you're working with. That's something I'm learning every single day. You know, we've worked with over 300 brands and that's a good pool to pull from to say like, what projects did I really enjoy? Like what relationships have I really enjoyed? Um, is it the long-term ones that we continue to grow together? Is it the ones that we get that big bang, you know, at the beginning? Um, one thing I like about, cause I work with second stage, you know, businesses as well. Um, e-commerce might be their second stage for them or something like, you know, they figured out retail or brick and mortar and now they're going to their next level. Um, and it's, there's, there's an understanding with, in my mind, the owners, or at least the people running a second stage business, they've been through some shit, yeah. right? And they have, they have some understanding that is just nice. Yeah. You know, it's nice to be working with someone that has some understanding. Maybe they're not rushing everything. And they're saying, hey, if this takes an extra week or two weeks, let's just get it right. Yeah. And you're like, really? Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love to get something done right. You know, instead of like, so it's just you know, the difference in having an invest investment behind a company or having like, you know, a family owned business or, um, you know, a business where they've grown through it, they've been through some stuff, they've worked with bad partners, they appreciate a good partner when they find one. Um, that I'm still kind of searching that out, because I really do like that, like, build something out of nothing with the brand and, and really help them like, really get going. Um, but there's a, it's like working with, um, Someone that's just been through a little bit more and just, you know, it's, it's a different game and you get to talk about stuff at a different level at the same time. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I like about second stagers, and I'm sure it's not all of them, but I feel like they also tend to have both a longer term mentality. Like they're thinking long, you know, to your point of like, if it takes a little bit longer, let's get it right. And also they tend to be very like, community oriented, whether that's their local community that they're building jobs for and that they're starting to become, you know, an important part of keeping that that community going, or whether it's their industry that, you know, they're providing some leadership in or starting to kind of come up through the ranks in. Um, but I do think that they they are very like relationship oriented and community oriented, which is something that I value. And um, so it's something that, that particularly attracts me to that group. And, and they, they're companies that often punch above their weight. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I think the stats are, it's like, you know, out of all the companies in the U S about 17% are second stage, but they create about 36% of the jobs. So they're like, 
<laughs> they're like small but mighty and i like mm-hmm. that feeling of like okay you know we don't work with the big brands but we work with the brands that are going to challenge those big brands and make those big brands go whoa like what's going on here what are we missing um and to me that's exciting and also the brands that are going to be around for their communities that are going to be creating stable jobs um that are concerned about like the long-term future of their legacy their family their community and i think that the yeah like I mean, even as more technology like if we're pushing a brand we're working with like the difference i feel if i'm working with good people or a, a brand that has good values is just different you know um and i think that we naturally attract that because of who my team is like we just kind of attract those brands in general so we have a lot of those um but yeah it's like okay i'm helping build a brand on amazon which is one of the biggest platforms and you know there's a lot of people that don't like jeff and i see it from a completely different perspective in that like i'm helping get local brands or smaller brands national or international exposure and i see it completely different some of it's been their lifeline through all this pandemic stuff people just don't really have an idea they think i think they think amazon brands are the only thing on amazon i'm like that's like always save from walmart it's like one you know, a uh, green bean on the aisle. There's a whole bunch of other brands there, you know, and people just kind of see it one way. Um, but it feels good to be helping those brands and, and be working with, um, you know, brands that care. Yeah. Let's keep talking about second stage, but I, I want to um, switch the topic a little bit because I honestly just want to pick your brain live here on the air. Sure. Uh, before we do one more shout out to our sponsor, uh, Tesseract Ventures. Do you believe that there's nothing more human than technology? Go check out what the inventors, engineers, and creatives are building over at TesseractVentures.io. From robots to flexible tech solutions for construction and beyond, the Tesseract team dream it and make it come to life. Tesseract Ventures, if you do have to look into them, Megan, I'm telling you, they're a pretty cool company here out of Kansas City. Um, But I wanted to make that as a segue to technology and Mm -hmm. going to second stage. And for me, it's been implementing a lot of technologies in my business that I didn't have before paying for them, wrapping my head around what I need to pay for them and um, and switching companies at the same time when I I find one that works for the time being, but quickly learn what it doesn't do and and need to switch. And sometimes that's even swallowing my pride to know I spent six months onboarding, uh, you know, a new software technology and, and then making a switch and in my space specifically, I know our spaces are related in that we both help brands like market and sell, but Amazon's a different bird. And um, there's not like a lot of companies that have come before mine that have like a template or a roadmap to processes and, and procedures and all those kinds of things. So I sometimes I feel like I'm out here swinging in the wind. Um, you know, how do you help companies like know where they need technology, where they need solutions and how do you guide a second stage company that's trying to get more systemized? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, to your point, it, it definitely becomes difficult, especially if their industry does not have a standard. There are some, some companies and industries that we work with where there are kind of like the gold standards in, you know, inventory management or things like that, that they can go to. But if you're a company that's either innovating or a company that doesn't have, you know, that there's multiple players in the market, how to kind of figure exactly what's right out for you. I'm always a big proponent of kind of like the outcomes thinking of like figuring out what you want the outcome to be and being very, very clear about what that looks like. And also 
how you're going to know when you got there. Like, like get really specific about it. Like, what is it going to feel like? What are you going to see around you? How are you going to know that it's working? Because that will also help you tell when it's not working early on and also help you potentially maybe like work with a partner or somebody with expertise to say like, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Like, this is the vision that I'm putting out there. Like, can you help me get that? Because oftentimes it might mean taking an off the shelf, off the shelf solution and customizing it slightly to get that outcome that you're looking for. Or it might be saying like, Hey, I'm not sure you can get that outcome, you know, maybe that level of personalization through, you know, a standard tech solution that what you're trying to achieve isn't achievable through these platforms. So I think um, that kind of outcomes thinking mentality can be really, really helpful when you're trying to kind of like do something that you've never done before, because oftentimes Mm -hmm. I think we stay too much in like the generalities of like, I want this to be smoother you know, okay, well, what does smoother mean for your company, for your people? You know, what is that going to look like and feel like? And so, um, you know, it, it helps kind of make, especially like visionaries who are starting companies, like start to get more practical with what they're trying to communicate and kind of translate their vision from like this vague thing that's kind of like, I'll know it when I see it to like, how do you get other people to understand what you're trying to achieve and to be able to use their skills or their tools or whatever it is to kind of help you achieve that. No, I love that. And it's something that Amazon's an algorithm. I mean, I honestly feel like half the time I'm just a data scientist, uh, you know, interpreting the data and like, what does this mean for us? And that's one of the big things, like so many brands will be like, I want this or you know, this is what I want to see or, and for me it is, it's like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, you know, what are you trying to see? This is what we should expect. Like, if we see this, I want you to know that this means it's working, you know, outside of top line sales. Yeah. You know, I think so many of them are just like top line sales and I'm like, but what if we improve return rate or customer service response rate or click through rate or, um, you know, we're spending 2000 less in ads to get the same sales. Like, are those not all wins as well? Um, you know, and how do you track those? I think one of the things I took away from Babson as well, just to keep, you know, something we have in common was, um, was the thing about dashboards and like, you know, within Amazon, I know all of the dashboards available. I've tried every software. I know what's out there. I've built my own. Um, you know, I know I can walk through anything with those customers and get that pulse on what's happening on Amazon within my own business has not necessarily been the case, you know? And, um, you know, it's like, how do I, I've got Basecamp, my project management software, I've got my time tracking, I've got, uh, you know, emails, like 12 employees, email inboxes. Like, I don't know how, how heavy they're getting. I've got, you know, QuickBooks, all my accounting stuff. Um, I've got my calendar, uh, on and on and on and on like cues, like from the photography queue to the graphic design cues and all these things. And I'm like, I don't think there's a solution that can just give me a health check on all these areas that I think are important, you know? Um, And so I've been working since then, you know, to build kind of systems. Uh, I've had like a gut check on all those things. I have lots of communication with my team, but how do I have a dashboard that really tells me um, how my business is doing 
what are some of the tools you use either giving advice to brands or you use within your own agency for anyone listening that's kind of in that space that really lets you know how your team is doing um, and how your business is doing? Yeah. So um, one thing I, I want to um, mention is um, a friend of mine, Nick Petros, has a company called, um, I think it's my mydash.io, I think is the the website. Um, and basically, they, they're trying to solve this problem that you just said, which is like, none of these systems talk to each other, but I need dashboards. And basically, that's what their team does is they they customized a dashboard solution that it's not it's not a software solution they'll basically say like what are the systems like what are those things that you think is important and then just tell us what you need and then tell us what you're using and we'll harvest the data and create a real-time dashboard for you. And I think it's a great niche to go into because I think so many companies are in that state. You're either drowning in data in a way that you can't really make smart decisions because it's not telling you a story or you are, you know, kind of, you have your dash, your financial dashboard and you have your operations dashboard and you have your people dashboard and, um, and none of them are kind of, you know, kind of being pulled together to give you like a snapshot of, of your business overall. So, um, so I wanted to give them a shout out if anybody else is having like dashboard (laughs) pains, but, um, I'm close to that in that I've just been using Google data studio and then a bunch of connectors like super metrics and all those different like aggregators and, you know, trying to pull something together and make that work. Um, it's piecemeal. Yeah. You know? Um, so, okay. So that aside, and I like, what have you been using? You've, you've had an agency since 07 and I'm sure it's evolved from the beginning, you know, but what's your, what's your kind of health checks? Yeah. So, um, we, we definitely look a lot at kind of like utilization rates in the company, just kind of keeping, uh, checks on how, how busy our employees are, how billable they are. Um, it helps keep us an eye on like, you know, is our pricing accurate and, you know, are we bringing in enough uh, dollars to, um, to keep people busy? So, so those are really critical for us to keep a close eye on, especially because we're much more on like the consulting side of things than we are on like the creative services side of things. So, um, you know, kind of, keeping, keeping track of billable hours is, is important for us. Um, we, we also, um, we have kind of like our, our hit list of, of metrics that, that we look at weekly and we, they, they kind of like go through everything from like, what is morale like? We, we just like assign, you know, numbers. So we have like a weekly, um, like pulse that people fill out. So we just have a sense of like, how are people feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) this week? And are we seeing like an aberration or are we seeing like a downward trend or an upward trend that we need to be paying attention to? And that's been really helpful in COVID, especially as we've been, you know, more and more remote, just keeping a pulse on how people are feeling and what's going on. And so would would that be like your people's morale or your customers? Um, that's for our people's morale. That's an internal metric. And then um, I also have something, and this is very manual, but uh, we have something that we call kind of like our top 25 list. And 
Um, they're just people who I've identified are critical for me to keep in touch with in order to understand what's going on, either for the health of my business or to just keep an eye on the playing field of what's going on in a bigger picture way. So, um, so there's certain people who it's like, I'm having weekly touches with them, or I'm having, you know, biweekly or monthly, but I've got 25 people identified that are just people who I check in with regularly, um, because I know that they're important to my company. And so some of them are customers, some of them are partners, some of them are vendors, um, but, no, that's awesome. but all together, they kind of give me a good snapshot and pulse of what I need to be paying attention to and and also help me keep from getting too like it's so easy to get in the weeds of your own business and not be kind of like picking your head up and, and reaching out to folks so um so that's also something that that I do to kind of keep a pulse on on like how no, I, I love that and it might be something I need to implement just whether it's a 25 list or a top start with a top 10 list. But, you know, if I'm talking to those 10, um, I'm at least touching the different areas of my business or the different areas of the landscape outside of my business that maybe I'm not talking to everyone, but, um, you know, the, the key uh, impactors to my business are, um, you know, being communicated with well, because I think something we both agree on is that relationships are, if they're not everything for everyone, they're everything for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And um, that's why I have a business uh, for sure um, has been because of relationships. And, um, you know, I think that there's no way you know or can know what you don't know unless you're communicating, um, you know, and that's something I'm learning. Uh, I've always been like, I guess I didn't really realize that how bad my communication was until I started being an entrepreneur. Right. And it just like brings all these lights on these areas. And, um, you have all these internal dialogue conversations with yourself all the time. So you might actually think you're a great communicator because you're talking all the time. It just doesn't always come out, you know? And so just those simple touches, I know that it's definitely thrown me off my rhythm during COVID and the pandemic. Um, I used to just get regular coffees with yeah. you know, a lot of people and things like that. And, um, just not, happening as often naturally yeah you know and it's got to be real deliberate yeah well and that's that's one of the things that that has been really good like we've like I've got people in my company who like keep tabs on like you know did you check in with this person you know you owe them a call just to make sure that especially during COVID that we weren't letting those relationship touches slide um and that we were finding ways to reach out to people um Again, I, I one of the things I found during COVID was doing a phone call with somebody instead of like a Zoom was like this like welcome thing because everybody's so Zoomed out. It's like, oh my gosh, not another video call. But it's like you just call them up on the phone or text them or whatever. And um, it just ended up being this like really positive uh, feedback loop of people like, oh yeah, so good to hear from you. And you know, you actually uh, got a lot more out of the the call than we might have if I had been like, can we schedule a 30 minute zoom and people like, oh, yeah, no, of course. I know. <laughs> uh, anytime anything is like a mandatory, you know, it's like, I want the opposite. Yeah. But it's a good thing we're in the digital space because this wasn't that big of a move for us, you know, moving things to like uh, calls and stuff like this. All I've known is that instead of probably fitting in one, 30 minute meeting or 45 minute meeting in an hour slot, like for coffee, like I'm fitting two thirties. 
probably, you know, yeah. so I've got a little bit more efficient, but, um, you know, before we wrap up, we've got a couple of minutes, like, what would you tell, um, what would you tell a company that, you know, is listening, let's say that, that feels like they're in a second stage, maybe they haven't identified it yet, much like I was when I started getting into that, all of a sudden, I've got a 10 person plus team and um, dealing with communication issues internally that I never had to deal with when I had four people because we just communicated every single day, every single minute. And now we have systems where we're not talking to all team 10 people every single day. Um, you know, that was an eye opener for me. But what would you tell someone like that's first feeling like they're in that spot? Um, you know, where to go for help outside of, you know, six point? Um, what should they be thinking about? Um, you know, just just some final final thoughts for a company that's just getting into that second stage that's looking for help. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I've seen be, be really helpful for second stage companies, and it's something that we use at Six Point, um, is called EOS. It's the entre- Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's based on a book called Traction by Gina Wickman. And I would definitely like read that book and check it out. Um traction can be implemented in a bunch of different ways, but basically it it helps you like break down all of those pain points that you're feeling Mm -hmm. into like discrete areas so that you got kind of got like your people area and they have some tools for that and your operation area and they've got tools for that. And they basically take things that are like very vague, like make sure you have the right people in the right seat. Well, that's great advice, but like, how do I know? Like, you know, is it a gut feeling? Well, I've learned that I can't always trust my gut. I thought I mm-hmm. could, but sometimes I hire people because I'm like, oh, I would love to work with you. This is going to be fun, but it's actually not the skill set that I need for the job. And Traction has some tools like their people analyzer that helps you figure out kind of like what are some of those things that you might be feeling in your gut and how do you make them into like data that you can look at and make decisions from. So I found that to be a really helpful transitional tool from like nothing to something. And we've kind of modified it to suit us as we've grown, but there's aspects of it that I still use um, in six point now that have been really helpful for us. So um, I definitely recommend that as like a, like then they they even have like a, um, an organizational checkup or something like you can kind of fill out an assessment and they'll kind of tell you like, what the health of your company is and kind of where you might need need help. And that can just be kind of like a good, like if you're feeling something, it can be helpful to be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is where we're weak and this is where we're strong. No, and I, I think that for me, like I told you, I was just caught off guard. I Things were just going great. And then you just realize you're at this point and it's just an eye-opening. It just kind of hit me. I guess there just weren't expectations knowing that, hey, stage two is right around the corner. You're almost about to level up. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just you're like peaking at level one. Yeah. And then, you know, le- level two doesn't start at the top. No. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you kind of like, like you're peaking and then, yeah, yeah, you fall into this like pit and you're like, oh my gosh, like, why is everything crumbling all around me when things were going so great? Um, and I think that the biggest thing I, I think also to do is to reach out to other companies who are beyond that life stage that you're in, even if they're not in your industry. And I think that that's one thing that I've learned is that like, you don't have to find another, you know, company that does what you do. You'll learn something from companies who are just like a little bit bigger and have made it through, you know, kind of over that crevasse and, um, and just talk to them, just tell them what you're experiencing 
and they'll be able to say like, Hey, that's normal. I've been there. This is what I did. This is what you might want to check out. Um, I think that the biggest thing to do is like not to suffer in silence or to think that like the problem is with you, you know, that's probably part of it, but also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The problem is you, let's be honest. Yeah. But it's always, it's always, you can get better. You can get better. But you can get better. <laughs> Megan, it's been so nice having you on. Um, I hope this isn't the last time. And I know that we'll continue to work together. I really appreciate your time. Um, and I'm glad I was like outgoing for a couple of days at Babson. That's not always the case for me. You know, I can be kind of um, a little bit of a hermit, but like I had just said in my mind, like I'm going to get out and talk to as many people as possible. So I'm really glad we connected. Thanks for sharing about second stage and, um, you know, teaching me a little bit more as well as everyone listening and six point, you guys can find all of her information in the show notes um, as well. Where do people find you on, on web and social? Um, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I, uh, share a lot of information there. Um, I don't know. You just search Megan Lynch on LinkedIn, I guess they don't really have a good system. Um, and then I'm uh, at Megan Lynch on Twitter and six point creative is on, uh, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. So you got it. And you guys heard it from her, but I'll have a copy of those in the notes. Um, Thank you, everyone. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Tesseract has brought Silicon Valley level innovation to the Midwest, enabling businesses just like yours to defy the boundaries of space and time through next generation technologies. Visit tesseractadventures.io to learn more or click the link in the show notes. Um, Megan, thanks again. Have a great day. Uh, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>